about, you know, missions and being part of the church. It's kind of weird being down here. I haven't been down here in a long time. But the New Testament tells us that those who have come to Christ, professing a faith in him, become part of the family of God. I want you to look around this morning and say hello to your family. Come on, look around. Hey, family. Got a weird-looking family, right? Ephesians 3, 4 through 15 says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are part of the family of God. And because we are part of the family of God, the family of God on earth is called the body of Christ. Amen? We are a body. We are a family. Now, because the church is a family, uh, as you know, most families, if not all families, are somewhat dysfunctional. Amen? Look around at your family again. Come on, look around. Yeah, don't point, just look. But it glorifies God when the family of God functions together in unity. It glorifies God. You say, Pastor Rick, why do we... Do missions. Well, the word tells us, why do we send, you know, missionaries like retired Charles out to Africa to build churches? Why do we do that? Because it's what the scripture tells us to do. It's, it's the gospel and the church family as it functions together in a healthy way. It glorifies God and it attracts the lost. Amen. You and I look, dysfunctional families don't attract people. Functional families do. When they look at our marriages, when they look at our children. Now, none of us are perfect. I'm not preaching that. You know, that's fantasy land stuff. There's no perfection. But I'm talking about unity and functioning in a way that is attractive to the world outside. They should look at you and I. They should look at our marriages. They should look at our families and want to be part of the family of God. Now, in 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Gentile churches that he raised up. And in many ways, that's us. We're the, we're the Gentile churches that are raised up, the New Testament churches, amen? Most of us are not Jewish. There are a few. But, you know, we are Gentiles who've been grafted in. Now, Paul speaks to the Gentile churches in 1 Corinthians 16. In verses 1 through 4, he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, he's talking about an offering. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever is approved by your letters, I will send bearing your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, I had no idea what Charles was going to do asking for monthly contributions, but that's exactly what I'm preaching on what Paul did here. Paul said, look, guys, the church in Jerusalem is hurting. We're going to talk about that. And I want you to set aside something so that when I come, I don't have to raise up a big offering that you would sow into, you know, your brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem, and there'll be something for us to bring to them as an offering. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is prompting our hearts to do today, that we would do what Paul instructed the Gentile churches to do. Now, understand some things here. You say, you know, why is Paul commanding the Gentiles to, to raise an offering? Because there was impoverished brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. 
The believers in Jerusalem were hurting. They were in poverty. What Paul is asking is that the Gentiles would partner with their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And what he's doing here is he's actually, actually conducting family business. He's like, hey, guys, your brothers and sisters are hurting over there. Let's put an offering together for them. Let's have something monthly. So when I come, you know, we'll have something to present to them. Now, you might say, well, what are these offerings from the Gentile church due to the poverty-stricken Jews in Jerusalem? I want to look at three things here. And this is exactly why we minister to places overseas. This is exactly why we do missions. This is what Paul was doing here in getting these churches to raise up an offering for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem did three things. Number one, those offerings became a safety net against poverty in the church. Let me say that again. Those offerings became a safety net against poverty in the church. When one of us suffers, all of us suffers. In the West here, we're so blessed and we have so much, but there's other places in the world where the church is in persecution, where the church is underground. You think about what's going on in China right now. You think about what's going on in Afghanistan right now, where we have Christians hiding for their lives right now. And they need our help and they need assistance. And, you know, the first thing that this offering did that Paul raised up, and look, I'm not taking an offering after this so you can relax. I'm just preaching the word of God. The first thing this did is it became a safety net to those who were in poverty. You see, now why was there poverty in Jerusalem? Listen to me. When the Jews came to faith in Christ, many times they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They were disowned from their families. They were cut off from their inheritances. They lost their jobs. Hello? Hello, America? We're starting to feel some of this now. Those, those of us who don't want to take a shot are losing our jobs. You know, we're starting to feel some of that persecution to say, you know what, we're, we're going to serve God, not government. We're, we're, we're feeling the heat of some of that. And, you know, this offering here, those people who converted to Christ, and it still happens in Judaism, and, and, you know, if a Muslim converts to Christ or a Buddhist, still in countries, many people are faced with losing everything to come to Jesus. Now, in the West, what does it cost us to follow Christ? Maybe we don't get invited to a few parties, or maybe they whisper about us at the office. Maybe it's because you're weird. I don't know. Maybe it's because you're a Christian. But it doesn't cost us much to serve Jesus here, does it? In other places, it costs them everything. And those Jews that had been cut off, that had lost their inheritances, that had lost their social standing and their jobs, were now impoverished. It, it created an impoverished class of people within the Jerusalem church. Not all of them. Some of them still own land. Some of them still retain their businesses. Some still had money. But many of them were poor. That's why you see the early church banding together and sharing what they had and having things in common and selling property to help others why because they had lost everything to serve jesus now let me tell you two things about poverty number one the first truth you need to know about poverty is poverty is a constant i'm sorry to burst your bubble this morning but there will always be the poor among us and for various reasons you know the the contestant at the 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 show they say well what's your one wish i wish to solve world poverty never gonna happen it's not going to happen. Why? Jesus said, Jesus said in Scripture in, in Matthew 19, 21, it, he's talking to, about to the rich young ruler and, and, and addressing poverty. But he also said in Matthew 26, you will always have the poor with you. 
Remember what Jesus said. You only have me with you a little while, but you're always going to have the poor with you. So poverty is a constant. We're never going to completely eradicate poverty. Some of you look disappointed. But the other half of the equation is this. Doing something about poverty is our duty, and it pleases God. Now, let me say that again. Doing something about poverty is our duty, and it pleases God. Doing nothing about it is not pleasing to God. Pretending it doesn't exist doesn't please God. Ignoring it and enjoying all of our prosperity does not please God. When one of us hurts in the body of Christ, all of us hurt. The Jerusalem church was hurting. Yeah, there was always going to be poverty, but God expects us, the people of God, to do something about it. He said to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, you know, he, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, what must I do to be made perfect? He goes, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And you remember, the young rich guy walked away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff, and he didn't want to part with it. You see, it pleases God when we're willing to part with our blessing and our abundance to help others who are hurting. The Jerusalem church was hurting. Paul wanted them to raise up an offering, and it became a safety net against poverty in the church. Now, many times Christians, especially us in the West, like to ignore poverty. I'll never forget one time when I was in Bible school, I was doing an internship in New York City. We were on Wall Street with NISM and a New York School of Urban Ministry. And I'm on Wall Street, and we're ministering to the homeless, and we're ministering to people handing out tracts. And I'll never forget, I saw a, an obviously wealthy man in a beautiful, pristine suit with incredible shoes reading the paper, step over a homeless man like he was stepping over a bag of garbage. And it imprinted in my soul, I'll never forget that, to treat other human beings who are in need as if they were human refuse. That's not the heart of God. We can't ignore poverty. We can't pretend it's not there. We can't bask in all of our abundance and at the same time our brothers and sisters are hurting. So when we bring an offering to the Gambia to go build a church for them because they can't do it themselves, it pleases the heart of God. It becomes a safety net when we send Bibles and curriculum for students and we fund a radio uh, program so that the gospel can go out in this predominantly Muslim country. Come on. This pleases the heart of God. This morning, our offerings, our giving to missions become a safety net against poverty. Number two, those offerings, Paul rose up, they became a mechanism to tear down the cultural walls that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, we're a body, we're one, we're a family. But the church doesn't act like it many times. In fact, some people have said the most segregated time uh, in the United States is Sunday morning when churches segregate themselves. There's not supposed to be a Spanish church and a black church and a white church and a Chinese church. There is just the church. Come on. That's why when I look around at Full Gospel Center and I see a mix of all of us together, man, it's a little slice of heaven. It blesses me, amen. But we're fooling ourselves if we're going to pretend that cultural walls don't exist in the church. You see, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't see eye to eye. 
For centuries, God had separated his people from the Gentiles. Why? Because the Gentiles were crazy, hopelessly lost, wicked, worshiping idols. And God said, whoa, 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 I don't want my people around that. So the Jews and the Gentiles had walls between them. Now, they didn't see eye to eye. They didn't eat together. They didn't fellowship with one another. Their cultures were at odds with each other, and they clashed. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus dies, and he rises from the grave, and he births the church. And all of a sudden, Jews and Gentiles and people from all different creeds and races and cultures find themselves together within the walls of the church. You say, well, that sounds great. Yeah, but with it comes a lot of, you know, sparks and a lot of stress and a lot of, because why? Those cultural walls didn't evaporate overnight. But I want to tell you something today. When those Gentiles looked at their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and had a heart to, to, you know, raise up an offering for them to assist them, that action right there began to dismantle the walls that separated them. Paul's command in 1 Corinthians 16 began to smash the cultural barriers. You see, you can't pray for someone and connect yourself with them by being concerned about their needs and their welfare. You can't give sacrificially to help someone and invest in them and not create a connection that shatters barriers. Pastor Mike, when you and I sow into a different people, when you and I give to someone, even someone, you know, if you begin to pray for someone that doesn't like you, you're going to begin to have a heart for them. You see, giving to missions, giving to the Gambia, giving to the voice of the martyrs for the persecuted church, giving to the rescue operations in Afghanistan connects us with people we may never see on this side of heaven. But it begins to smash the cultural walls. The cultural walls need to come down if we're to be the family of God, if we're to be the body of Christ. Being, being a Christian should shatter those walls of separation. Colossians 3, 10, and 11 says, and having put on the new man who is renewable in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, nor circumcised, nor uncircumcised, Barian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. What shatters the cultural barriers? Jesus Christ. What shatters the divisions? Jesus Christ. I like this part of the scripture. It says, Christ is in all, Christ is all and in all. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you, amen? When Christ is in us all, we're one. And those cultural walls, hey, have you ever met a person maybe from a different culture, maybe of a different skin color, maybe from a different country, and they love Jesus and you love Jesus, and within minutes you felt like you'd known them all your life? Come on, if you've been on the mission field, you know that. I'm smiling at people I can't even speak the same language, and I'm saying, little and, and what's happening? There's a spirit-to-spirit connection there. I can feel their love of God, and they can feel mine. We might not even be able to talk to each other, but the cultural walls are smashed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This offering that Paul raised up, not only was it a safety net against poverty, but it smashed the cultural walls in the church. And number three, I'll close with this. Those offerings created a sense of unity between the churches. Now you say, come on, Pastor, once we get the cultural walls knocked down, aren't we automatically unified? And the answer, unfortunately, is no. Because 
even in our own culture, in the West here, we have the same culture, we speak the same language. Look at the church of Jesus Christ just in the West. Is it unified or is it fragmented? One person answered me. Thank you, Jill. Is it unified or is it fragmented? It's fragmented. If you think we are unified in the West at churches, I don't know what planet you live on or what medication you're taking, but it's not true. Even those with the same culture uh, struggle to find unity, even as a body, even as a family. The, the, uh, the American church, as an example, the American church all throughout, you know, the nation here is plagued with a turf war mentality. Oh, this church is here and this church is there. In fact, there's a church across the street from us that, you know, uh, what's the name of that church? Living Water. When Living I knew the pastor. He was a friend of mine. When that church started, they met in our, in our room back here. And other pastors are going, what are you doing? They're going to put a church across the street from you. Are you crazy? Do you see what I'm talking about? That's turf war mentality. The, the, and I said, no, they're going to preach the gospel. They get all the people on that side of the street. I get all the people on this side of the street. There's enough, there's enough for all of us, amen. And I'm looking at these guys with this territorial mentality. Look, my goal is not to become the pastor of all New York. I, we need other churches. We need other pastors. We need other people preaching the gospel, amen. We can't have this divisive mentality where, you know, uh, you know, it's a, yeah, we got to control, and this is our spot. And I've had people, I don't believe they built a church across the street from me. I'm like, are you kingdom-minded or carnal-minded? We help them. We, we set them up. We send them across the street, and they reach people that we'll never reach. Denominationalism has thoroughly fragmented the church. It's caused us to compete against itself to contract to attract consumer Christians with brand loyalty. Brand loyalty. Well, I go to this church. Well, I go to this denomination. And they'll tell you what their brand loyalty is. In the world, it's like this. Coke versus Pepsi. Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts. Nike versus Adidas. Walmart versus Target. Now everybody's tense. See some of you Walmart shoppers out there. In the church, it's like this. Catholic versus Presbyterian. Protestant, Baptist versus Pentecostal, Assemblies of God versus Calvary Chapel, and on and on it goes. Newsflash, everybody. The church is not a gang. It's not a brand. It's a body. We are the body of Christ. I don't want you going around with leather jackets that say full gospel on them. You know, we're going to fight with the Calvary Chapel. No, what are you, crazy? Some of you are so dead you ain't even getting this. Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm a Pentecostal. I got news for you. There ain't going to be sections and neighborhoods in heaven. It's going to be like this. <laughs> all different faces, all different cultures, all different skin colors, all together worshiping the Lord. The church is a body. It's not a gang. We don't need turfism. We don't need, you know, competition with ourselves Thank God if you go to an ice cream store, there's not just one flavor. Some people like chocolate. Some people like, you know, vanilla. And, and there's all the, oh, there's, thank God for all the flavors, amen. Every church can't be like the way we like it because somebody else is not going to like that. But we're one no matter what. And we need to cultivate that unity that Jesus gave us. Look at Jesus' prayer for us 
that we would be unified in him. John 17, 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. He's talking about the family of God. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. Jesus's prayer for the people of God is that they would have the same unity that Jesus had with the Father. I and the Father am one, Jesus said. We as the family of God, as the body of Christ on earth, should be one. We need to cultivate that unity. This offering did that. Paul was creating this connection, uh, tearing down walls of culture and allowing the Gentile believers to love and to serve and to sow into the Jewish believers so that their hearts were knit together. Unity is what we need in the church. Cultural walls need to come down in the church, and we need to be a safety net for one another. When we give to these missions, when we, when we give to Voice of the Martyrs, when we give uh, to the Afghan operations, do you know most of the Christians that have been rescued out of Afghanistan, it's not the government that's done it. It's private Christian churches and organizations that have rescued thousands and thousands time for the church to be the church to look outside these four walls and to have the unity that christ gave us so why do we sow in the gambia why do we see <laughs> full gospels part two being resurrected <laughs> it's because it pleases the father and it's what the apostle paul taught the early church to do let's bow our heads father i thank you this morning for such an opportunity what a privilege it is to be able to sow into a foreign nation, Lord. And all, all we did is we, we sowed some of our excess, Lord. I pray that you would continue to stretch our hearts for the lost and for missions, that you would continue to stretch us to, to realize that we have such a great opportunity here that many of us, maybe we can't go on a foreign field, but we can finance the things of the kingdom and bless the lives of others and advance the gospel. Father, there's a reward connected to that. Father, thank you for Charles who decided not to be like 99% of the people who retire and sit down and watch life go by, but he answered your call and he got up and he went to that place, Lord God, and we were able to partner with him. What a blessing it is for all of us today. We thank you. I thank you for each one of us that are doing our part. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Well, praise God. We're going to have Pastor Mike come and read from the scroll this morning.